At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Inquiries of Our Reality with Shane Jones. Hey guys, and welcome to my humble little podcast that is Inquiries of Our Reality. Today, I have an awesome interview for you guys with the uh, Appalachian Intelligence Boys, and we dig into their ultra-fascinating story of unintentionally becoming treasure hunters, and in the usual Inquiries of Our Reality fashion, we do sprinkle a good amount of the weird theories that you guys have come to expect out of the show on the end, so definitely if you're into that stuff, stay tuned for the end. But I was on the edge of my seat for the whole show, so I think you guys will uh, thoroughly enjoy this conversation. But before we get into all that, we got to knock out the front of house stuff. And in the usual fashion, I'm going to try to knock it out as fast as I possibly can for you guys. So if you guys don't mind leaving a review or a rating for the show, it's one way to help the show grow. Five stars all around, hopefully. And uh, if you guys leave some nice comments on uh, iTunes, then I would be more than happy to read them on the show and give you guys a shout out. Uh, you guys can also share the show with friends. Uh, if you know anybody that's into weird concepts, theories, aliens, Sasquatch, any of the weird stuff I cover on the show, just all around open-minded stuff, I would definitely appreciate it if you uh, just drop the name, you know, just drop the name in conversation, say, hey man, have you ever uh, listened to Increase of Our Reality podcast? And uh, that's going to go a long way. So if you guys aren't already following me on social media, that's one way that you can get some updates on the show, know when new episodes come out, uh, anything new that I got working or that I'm doing. Uh, if you guys want to have some awesome conversations with some awesome people, you guys can pop into the Telegram or the Discord. Uh, if you guys are interested in being a guest on the show, if you're an author, researcher, experiencer, uh, philosopher, whatever, if you guys get into these weird, deep concepts, I would love to sit down and have a conversation with you. So don't hesitate to uh, shoot me a message. You can do so through social media, like I was mentioning. Uh, Instagram is the one I'm the most active on. You can also shoot me an email at inquiriesofourrealitypodcast at outlook.com. Uh, more often than not, it seems like everything goes to the junk, like I always mention on every show. So if you guys shoot me a message, I respond to everything. So just keep an eye out and make sure that it doesn't get thrown away on accident into the junk folder. Uh, if you guys can't get enough of the work that I do and all of the strangest that I get into, you guys can go and check out Bizarre Encounters. Uh, there I have my two awesome co-hosts, Oren and Jenny. Uh, we get into some deep concepts all pertaining to Bizarre Encounters, I guess. Perfect, perfectly fitting to the name. Uh, if you guys want to check out anything else that I might be expanding or doing in the future, because I'm always working, figuring out new shows, new different concepts I can do, uh, go and check out Open Minds Media. That's kind of my little title name that I put everything that I do under. And if you guys want to support the show, you can do so by becoming a Patreon supporter. 
Uh, there you'll get live access to the show. You'll get early access to the show. And you'll also get access to the live replays if you're not able to make it to the live of the show, which is, of course, the video uh, for the live. So uh, if you guys want to donate in a different way, you can also do so through Red Circle, Venmo, Cash App, PayPal. Uh, anything you, you guys want to throw to help the show, I definitely appreciate. Uh, it's all going to go towards the show, updating equipment, um, paying for all of the awesome programs that I have to pay for every month in order to keep this podcast rolling. Uh, you guys can also go and get yourself some awesome merchandise for all of the shows that I do over at the Open Minds Media Merch Store. There you'll find stuff for, of course, Inquiries of Our Reality, Bizarre Encounters, Bite Size Bizarreties. And if you guys want to get yourself some awesome cryptid merch, alien merch, or paranormal merch, go and check out Crypto Theology. Joe is always adding new designs over there. Uh, the newest one that I've seen is a hodag one that makes reference to the men in black, as in the movie, of course. Uh, pretty awesome. So if you haven't seen it already, go and check it out. Uh, every single thing that I've mentioned, all available under the link tree, down in the show description. So click the link and follow the trail to wherever you're trying to find. And with that, welcome to the show, Justin, Ryan, and Lance from Appalachia Intelligence. How's it going today, guys? It's going it's great. Going good, man. It's going great. We're happy to be here. We're excited for this conversation. So uh, I guess to kind of get everything rolling, man, for anybody that isn't familiar with your guys' podcast, uh, why don't you guys let them know exactly what you guys cover and what you guys do on your show? Uh, yeah, you. Uh, we've, we started this show, we were talking a little bit earlier, a little over a year ago, um, Appalachian Intelligence, or AI for short. You know, we're the, the AI guys, or the AI boys is how we're always <laughs> talked about from, from all the, the people out there in the, the world. But uh, we just talk about the weird, man. We talk about, you know, the paranormal, cryptids, aliens, conspiracy, uh, altered history. All, I mean, just if it's weird, we want to talk about it. Yeah, you know, a lot of parallel universe stuff and, and multiverses. And, and it's just, again, you know, just if it's a weird topic, we like to dump, jump, jump into it, dive in, talk about it, especially when it's involves Appalachia. You know, there's so much weird here in these mountains that, uh, you know, we don't have to stray too far or, or find stories from around the world because there's so many around here. So, um, yeah, we just, it's, it's something that, that we just enjoy talking about. We wanted to build a platform for, um, you know, other content creators and guests, you know, listeners to, to share their stories and to come on and, and talk about their weird experiences and just make a, a place where, you know, there would be no judgment held. And then, you know, um, we would suspend belief and judgment without and just allow the whoever comes on to share their weirdness with us <laughs> and with the world. And and just kind of give that place where you got people sitting around and that don't think you're crazy for once in your life. You know, a lot of these topics and a lot of these experiences you can't exactly bring to the dinner table on on Sundays, you know, for family dinner time. So that's that, that's pretty much it, man. We just we want to build a platform, and I think we've done a pretty decent job of of allowing just a a weird place, just building a weird tribe constantly. Hey, man, that's all we can do. We just got to team up, build everything up together, and move along, man. But uh, as far as uh, like your guys' show goes. I always like to dig into the weird topics, of course, myself. Uh, cryptids in particular is one of my favorite things to talk about. But uh, as far as your guys' show, what's uh, some of your favorite topics that you guys have covered personally? 
Oh man, man, that's uh, uh, wasn't ready for that question. Um, I'm gonna say, <laughs> I don't know. I think the the Granny Witch stuff we've done has been pretty fun, just simply because, like, when we we had the conversations about Granny Witch and Granny Witch is essentially for I guess people who don't know <laughs> our culture very well um, or don't know what that is. It's essentially just kind of a faith mountain healing, very natural type of healing thing that involves um, faith-based prayers and things as well um, that is innate, I think, in our culture. Like, we all grew up and knew, like, you know, you you go to Mamma and she had some stuff or could say some stuff that could fix some things that the doctor couldn't do or didn't do. Um, And it was... a totally unforeign concept to us because we grew up with it because we all had somebody either in the family or a friend of somebody in the family who had the ability to do some of these things. But if you get kind of outside of our ecosystem, it's kind of a really foreign concept. Um, you know, you've got witch doctors and shamans and all those other, I guess, cultural things in which people have ways in which they heal. But the specifics of what we call granny witching um, and the faith healing that kind of goes with it, to me, it's one. It's so much fun to talk about because it's kind of kind of wild and it's very paranormal and it's very kind of out there in a lot of ways. But in our culture, it's completely common. Um, and to kind of talk about something that is innately Appalachian as far as the culture goes, um, and that we've all had some kind of experience with. To me, that's been one of the more uh, one of the more fun topics that we've kind of hit a couple of different times um, over the course of the last year, year and a half, whatever it's been. Um, personally, for me, you know, we've had a bunch of other stuff that's been fun to talk about too, like Nephilim and, and Bigfoot and Woodbuggers, we call him, and uh, Wendigos and paranormal stories and shadow people and all this cool stuff. But for me, there's just something kind of cl- it hits close to home uh, when we talk about what we call Granny Witches because it's just so much our culture. At least when it comes to that, I feel like that's one of those things that's like kind of inherently in the back of people's minds where everybody goes to their grandma knowing that she knows some kind of special way or some kind of home remedy to get something done. But at least from like where you guys come from, it has that paranormal spin onto it. And that's kind of what makes it individually your guys. But it's just as fascinating all the same. And it's one of those things where it's like, does the knowledge get passed down through generations? So there's going to be a continuous thing of granny witches. Or is it going to be one of those things where as society progresses and gets a little bit farther and farther away from like the nature side of things, if it's going to almost be like a dying breed of people? I don't think so personally, um, because if you look, especially at some of the specific things that are treated, um, think about uh, thrush you know, being treated, um, uh, getting rid of burns certain ways, uh, certain home remedies. Like there are instances in which like, only the seventh son of a seventh son has the ability in these families to do that. So like you, you, you have moments of like where the seventh son we brought in at a certain time, um, at a coming of age or whatever, and kind of the secrets, not the secrets, but kind of the, the ritualistic ways are taught, um, to that seventh son. And they're the only type, only people that can do that. Right. An instance of just simply something is removing warts, right? There's, there's a way in the granny witching culture, I guess, or the phenomenon that it is that you can buy warts or remove warts from people with doing certain things. And nobody else can do those, right? Only seven sons of seven sons. And it sounds like well, that sounds crazy. Like 
that's just old superstition. No, but you go back and look at the lineage of people. That's actually the ones that have a more innate granny witching ability. So I think that even though we were kind of, I guess, drifting farther away from a natural healing thing for a time, I would almost say that maybe things are kind of heading maybe more back that direction a little bit. Um, maybe this kind of counter um, cultural, more people are kind of getting away from, I guess, what we would consider processed medicines and maybe more people looking to more earthy natural things. I think that granny witching, especially in our culture is something that because it's passed specifically because people take us to such, such care with the details of it, that it'll at least always be a part of, of where we're at and where we're from. You boys agree with that? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I mean, I think it's it's one of those things. It's just like anything else, you know, if if it's if it's something that's taught and passed down and and it's a uh, it's something that holds true to your values and morals and beliefs and it's a kind of heritage thing that you want to pass on to your children. It's just like anything else, you know. It's something that for them to understand their heritage and their history and and why these things have been done and what it means and what it represents, you know, it's a, it's a big thing. And I think it'll only die if we allow it to die, you know, and that's just traditions in general. I mean, it's one of those things too, that I feel like the way the society's going, there's going to be a big split in culture coming up sooner rather than later, where it's going to be the people that want to be all about the tech in advance. And they're going to be, you know, popping anything that the big pharmaceutical companies tell them to. They're going to be putting the chips in the back of their neck, all that kind of stuff. And then there's going to be the other side of society. There are going to be the ones that want to go back to hunting, trapping, living off the land and being away from society. So you're going to have like these big built up giant cities and the rest are just going to be rural lands of people that they think are, you know, like less than them possibly. Because assumably the people living in the city, they're going to be so brainwashed to live in that type of culture. They're going to look at everybody else like they're less than them. But if that kind of society progresses up and everybody gets back into that natural thing, I feel like if anything, it it might actually just blow up and there might be more people that care to listen to the granny witches and actually learn their lessons and be able to hopefully do some of the stuff themselves, you know, minus the the stuff that you may need that paranormal extra seventh seventh child touch, you know, but anything that's just <laughs> a matter of mixing some natural components or making some type of like a uh, ointment out of leaves and whatever the hell else. You know, there's going to be more of a need for that, especially if people are living off the land. Yeah, and we'll definitely be the ones that survive the AI zombie apocalypse, too. So (laughs) we're good. We're good. So as far as like that stuff goes, I kind of bounce a bunch of different theories off of stuff like we kind of look at AI like it's supposed to be like a negative thing. And I kind of view it in a way like it's a negative thing, but it's more so out of the idea of it being something that's going to make us obsolete but as far as like my thought process goes i feel like this is something that's happened multiple times through the evolution of people and through the evolution of life that in order for life to progress the last thing needs to create something better than them and then that dies off and then that progression of life continues on so i mean at least where we're at currently i feel like the next step for life would be to create something that essentially can't die, which would be AI. But after that happens, it makes us obsolete. So then there's either the option of we have to combine with AI in order to kind of converge with it and try to progress as much as we can with it. Or 
you're going to end up with an all-out Terminator-type scenario where they're like, all right, this specific robot's job is to keep everything clean, and one day it's going to become intelligent enough to realize that the only way to keep everything permanently clean is to get rid of people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can see that side of it. Um, yeah, I heard a, a, a interesting theory the other day. You know, you everybody, Elon is such a hot topic. Everybody's talking about Elon, either positively or negatively, you know, all this different stuff. And, and you know, Elon has made a lot of negative statements about AI. You know, he's called them, he's called AI the, the demon that won't be able to be controlled. You know, he's talked about how it's going to be the the coming apocalypse you know all this different stuff so i heard a theory the other day that that's the reason elon's going so hard for Neuralink is to give actual humans a a fighting chance against ai whenever it finally becomes sentient (laughs) and just starts taking over the whole world so it's going to be like you know your your trans humans against this sentient AI in some kind of weird cyborg. I don't know. It's it's nuts. I just imagine like a Romeo and Juliet type of love story coming out of that, where you have like the, the half human <laughs> mixing with the robot, and it's just this untouchable love story. And at the end, that's what makes it so that everybody's able to combine is the love of a cyborg and a robot. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully the the sentient AI that's crushing humanity kills itself in the end, like Romeo and Juliet. We are. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but as far as like Elon Musk goes, not using this term literally, but just out of not having a better way to word it, but I almost feel like there's a possibility of him being like an antichrist in the aspect of, <laughs> you know, he plays it off that he's that cool guy. He's the guy that smoked weed on Joe Rogan. He's the guy that posts funny Twitter comments and lets a bunch of Twitter stuff out. But because he's the one doing that kind of stuff, there's that thing in the back of people's mind where they want to they associate with him. So, you know, if Bill Gates was coming out here and saying, all right, everybody, I've invented this chip you put in the back of your neck, everybody's going to go, all right, Bill Gates, fuck off. But (laughs) if it's Elon Musk doing it, everybody's like, hmm. I mean, this guy is pretty, pretty, pretty fringe. He's a rebel. He did find a way to make a legal flamethrower. Maybe I should try it out. But again, that shit could all be a ploy to get to everybody, get everybody to get on his side so that he can do what he's trying to do and hide what he's what his true intentions may possibly be. Because I mean, as far as like a like a neural link or a link getting put in the back of your neck, the first thing that my mind goes to is technology needs to be updated and it can also be hacked. So when it comes to this whole thing with uh you know the shots, uh the passports in order to go to different places, essentially they could say, all right, you have this technology, but in order to get the upgrade to make everything work properly because you're starting to malfunction, you have to go and do this for us. So it just kind of brings like a whole new level of control into it. And, you know, when it gets into like the black mirror type of concepts, you know, if you give somebody the ability to put a chip in the back of your neck and control your perception of things, you know, you could get yourself in legal trouble and they could do something like in black mirror where they block you out, where every single person around you just looks like fuzz and you can't hear or see anything they're saying. And you don't have to be in a prison but it's worse than being in a prison because you can see everybody around you, but the chip won't let you interact. And even going into the hacker concept of it too, somebody learns how to hack it and they could just play ransom on you and say, all right, we're not going to unhack you where you can move. They could find a way to like paralyze your body and say, all right, you need to transfer $6,000 in funds or whatever the fuck they choose before they're able to, 
you know, make it so that your body can move again. But just too many bad scenarios come come across in my head as far as putting a chip in the back of your neck, man. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 for sure. I'm not a fan. I'm not a big fan. Not not a huge fan of the whole. Well, this uh, all chip sounded idea. terrible. That's, <laughs> that's a- the only the only chip I want to put in my I hate is a Dorito. That's that's it. That's the only chip I'm working with. That that's I mean that takes control of me on a regular basis. I couldn't imagine an actual like neuralink chip that goes in my brain. The way that I see Elon, just me personally, is like a like one of these new Marvel villains, you know, like a Thanos <laughs> snap personality. Yeah. <laughs> like he thinks, you know, Elon does everything to appease Elon. That's it. He's not worried about any party or government or you know, whatever. Elon is loyal to Elon. Now, I believe, honestly, that the things that Elon is doing as far as with SpaceX and Neuralink and all this different stuff, I feel like he's doing it in his mind and heart for the betterment of humanity. So he's Ultron. (laughs) So he's Ultron. (laughs) But he may destroy mankind in the process of trying to better mankind. So it's that whole... He, he's a Marvel villain, man. Like he, he's going to destroy us all by trying to save us all. That's just how I see. You. Dude, he's I think you alien. could take I've all said these this from the beginning. He's an alien. <laughs> the beginning of the show, he talked about Elon. He's, he's yeah, he's the alien. He comes down for a while, plays around, develops some company or some new tech that he got from wherever. Gets tired or bored or runs out of whatever. Flies back to his planet, gets some new technology, comes back down. Builds the cyber truck, puts it out there. Gets tired of that for a while. Goes back up, comes back down, gives us the flamethrower. He's an alien. That's that, that's my thought. That, that's my thought on him. I ain't making any accusations, but Valiant Thor disappeared and Elon Musk showed up. So <laughs> true. That is true. I'll co-sign that one, dude. I uh, I would love to see like a drawing and an association with all of these like high up elitist people drawn as Marvel here, Marvel supervillains. Cause I feel like all of them would fit a theme very well. Like I could definitely see Elon Musk as Ultron. I could see Bill Gates as Thanos. Like we can just keep rolling down the line here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. For sure. Klaus Schwab may be, uh, who's, who's the new guy. Oh, I can uh, see him as Johnson. like red skull. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He'd make a good red skull. He's already got the he's voice got the down. Ax- he's already got the accent and everything. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, I guess I'm, to kind of uh, switch uh, switch paces up a little bit here, because I know we'll definitely come back to the conspiracy stuff, because that's definitely fun. <laughs> but uh, for the people that aren't familiar with your guys' story, I would love to get into your guys' uh, treasure hunting story, because I know it kind of leads into partly like why you guys started interconnecting into the community. So, yeah, Justin. How <laughs> was that my cue? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, the dog is over here like acting crazy. He's I'm trying to mute as much as possible because he's making a lot of noise. Anyway, um we'll try to condense this because if we <laughs> get rolling with all the details, we might be here literally until up in the morning. So uh this whole thing started, man. You know, of course, we were talking earlier, we started the podcast, we started talking all the weird stuff, you know, we start gathering uh uh a following, you know, a loyal base of listeners. And, and we were lucky enough that some of those listeners were local, you know, 
guys that that I went to school with and then have played ball with and hang out hung out with. Um, and just so happened, I ran into to a good friend of mine, and he mentions um, this rock in our hometown, this cliff rock that has all these weird carvings on. And asked me if I'd ever seen it before. I was like, no, man, I've I've never seen it. I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, I've lived here 30 years and never heard of it. So he shows he starts showing me some pictures, and uh, you know, a few weekends roll by. I'm talking to these boys about it. We go up there. It's one Sunday. It's pouring the rain. It's terrible weather. But we had put it off and put it off and put it off. And I was just like, we're getting up there. We're getting up there. So, you know, we go check this rock out. And, and Shane, I'm sure you've seen pictures, you know, on the Instagram. And, and for any of the listeners out there that haven't seen the pictures of this rock, you know, they're available on our Instagram. Go check it out and, and give us your opinion on it. Um, but it, it, they're just weird, man. They're weird. Like, they don't belong. You know, it's just something that does not belong in the area that it's at. There's nothing, there's nothing close to what these things are, you know, anywhere close by to where we are. I mean, they're just, the carving is just so intricate and, and like, you know, at first you hear some people that are like, oh, well, that's just natural formations. You know, we've been contacted by a few geologists and each of them have a totally different opinion on what this thing is. A couple of them have, have said, Oh, well, that's just natural. You know, that's a, that's a carpet rock or, or, you know, all this and that, but I've looked at all these other natural things that have been, you know, in people's opinion given to us. And it just doesn't compare to anything else, man. It really doesn't. I mean, there's two humanoid figures carved into this, this glyph or, or whatever you want to call it, these carvings. Um, it's just different. It, it's totally different. So, you know, we go up here to this rock, we're checking it out. We're looking into it. We're, we're sending it out to everybody trying to find out, you know, where this came from, how it got there, how old it is, you know, everything that you would, would the information that you would want if you find something like this and the weirdest thing about it, man, is nobody around here talks about it. It, it. it means nothing to nobody. Like, it's just, oh, yeah, it's it's weird. I've been up there and seen it. And that's just it. It's the end of conversation. Um, but, you know, we started really diving in and looking into it because, obviously, we talk about all these things. You have this in, in your own backyard. You want to know. I mean, it's it's awesome. It's weird. So... We start really digging into this rock, looking into to all this different stuff, and that rock, which I think to this point, and you guys can can disagree if you want to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we feel like the rock is a little different mystery and, and doesn't really tie necessarily to the treasure. Now, this rock led to the conversation and the information that we started getting about this treasure, this lost silver mine and all of this different stuff. But uh, it's like we're on two different adventures here. We're, we're in the middle of two different mysteries, which is super awesome. But yeah, the rock is, is really cool. Uh, we went up there that one time. I've been back up a couple times since uh, we've, we've got some new information that, that kind of leads us, to a couple areas around that spot that that we need to go back and look more for. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, it just led to the the awesome conversation that started leading to all the information that we were getting with the treasure. And that started with Lance and Lance talking to uh, a coworker of his about all this stuff. And it led to this, this big John Swift lost silver mine. So Lance, you can, uh, you can give your piece on all that. Yeah. So after we'd been up to see the rock, um, we were back, I was back at work um, and I teach high school. It's really uh, life-changing stuff that I do, I'm shaping the minds and hearts of the young children of the Appalachian Mountains to be better people. Um, but my coworker um, came down and we were just catching up for summer break, right? You hadn't seen each other in a couple of months, talking about what you do over the summer, uh, sports kicking back up, just having normal conversations. And he's a big streamer too, um, and does a lot of uh, streaming, eye racing streaming and stuff, and has a really big following. Um, and we were just kind of just BSing back and forth. We eventually moved to the podcast, and then eventually leads us me him showing him me showing him these pictures um, of this rock, um, and just kind of telling him some early information that we'd found a couple of things that related to this Swift Silver Mine that might be connected to this rock in some way or weren't sure or had information maybe about it. And then as I'm talking about this rock, I can kind of look at him and kind of tell that like there's something in his brain. that's like, I'm triggering some memories. Like there's something that the hamster wheel is starting to turn um, as I'm just kind of just spouting out of the mouth, but, but about very little information that we knew at the time. Um, and as I get done um, talking about had PowerPoint, we'd looked at this guy's talking about the silver, silver mine. Uh, being over kind of in our area, Pine Mountain is the, the big mountain kind of close where we're at now. So there's similar carvings over there and, and all these different things. And he, once I get done, um, he kind of stops and I kind of see him kind of processing everything. And uh, he's like, that's, 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 re- that's really interesting. It's real silver mine. Huh? I was like, yeah, like I never, I was like, yeah, I've never, never heard of that. Like I've lived here my whole life um, and I've never heard of the Swift silver mine. Didn't know what it was or anything like that. He's kind of continuing to listen. He's like, well, I, I, I might know a few things about the Swift Silver Mine. Like, oh, really? Um, and at this point, like, we're just new to this thing. And, like, we're thinking that we're going to walk, like, up on these, all this money of silver at any time. <laughs> you know, we're, we, we have huge you know, dreams of what we're going to do. Um, they have no like, concept or idea of anything really about it. He's like, yeah, well, I might, I might have some information about, about this Swift Silver Mine. So I grab a, a, a pen and some paper and I start, I was just going to write down everything that I could uh, that he was telling me. And he begins to tell me a, a pretty lengthy story um, that I won't get into the weeds too much on it, but essentially what it boils down to is that he met a gentleman um, down in the, from the Treasure Coast uh, of Florida. And this gentleman had located treasure um was it was an actual treasure hunter had located some 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 pirate treasure that was there had found um some pieces of one of columbus's ships as well um and had made a pretty good fortune doing some treasure hunting um and like had the documents and the articles to kind of back up that it wasn't just some local lore story like it was legitimately like he had actually done this um 
and that he was his dad was in the process of buying some land from him and the deal the deal kind of fell through and they're going back and forth for a few months and he eventually ended up selling the land to somebody else and then when he called and when this my coworker called down to kind of finalize the deal the gentleman told him oh, man, I've kind of already sold that to somebody locally and he felt really bad about it um so he proceeded to tell him the, what he thought was this location a general location of of this swift silver mine um, and that he had been in our area in the seventies had seen the entrance to this swift silver mine um, and just didn't have the time or the ability at the time to get the permits and stuff that he needed to, to be able to go in and dig and excavate um, the silver. Um, and every time that he mentioned this silver mine, he, he would say billions of dollars in silver. That was there. Um, so my coworker, of course, is hearing this story and kind of thinking, yeah, all right, whatever. Like, this sounds cool, whatever, but there's no way this is real. Um, this guy's just feeding me a line because he feels bad or whatever. He's, he's kind of a centric guy anyways and just kind of talked everywhere. And he's just kind of a crazy old bat, I guess. And he was just kind of wrote it off. Like, there's, there's no way this is real. Um, and he said he also had some maps that he had drawn. He had doused uh, with metal rods. The location of where this silver mine was at. So this, my coworker was just kind of humoring him, right? Just okay, yeah, sounds great. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, I get a chance. I'll go look for it. You know, I'll go make sure I check it out. Well, in the process of all this, um, the the treasure hunter gives him another quest, I guess you could call it, um, and essentially tells him that he has located another area where there's treasure, um, just south of Cincinnati, um, that. It's too far for him to get to because he's getting older, um, has maps and does and, and has some information about it. And he's wanting my coworker to go find this treasure, essentially, this, this totally separate treasure. Um, we're only a couple hours from Cincinnati. Um, so he coworker says, you know, what? I, I had to at least I didn't think it was real. I thought this guy was full of crap. But I was at least on the off 1% chance that there was some gold or silver there. I was at least going to go check it out. It wasn't that far away. So he and his brother drive up to lower Cincinnati and they get to this small little town. And I'm following this map that the treasure hunter is giving him. Um, and they realize that this location is on some private land. So they go to the courthouse um, and get the deeds and get the landowner and, and tr try to make sure they do everything legally the right way. So, so, so they get all this information. They drive to the house and they go up and knock on the door. And nobody's home. Um, so they figure, well, it's going to be maybe out to town or whatever. We'll wait a few minutes. So they wait 15, 20, 30, 45 minutes an hour. Nobody ever shows up. Um, so my coworker said, I didn't drive you know, all this way to at least not go look at this area, which this treasure hunters told us to go. I've got to at least go check it out. So they hop the fence, um, take the metal detectors with them and go over to the X marks the spot that they have been given from the treasure hunter in Florida. So he breaks out the metal detector and it's kind of a mound where they're at. He runs the metal detector over and gets a high ping precious metal. Like there's definitely something precious in the ground where the treasure hunter had told him it would be. So they're on private property. They don't know where, you know, so they don't dig it up, right? So they, they, they wait around a little bit more. Nobody comes home. Um, so they leave. Um, and do some more investigating on this area and come to find out that where they had the high precious metal ping on the metal detector, 
which is the exact same location that was X marks the spot the treasure hunter had given him, was actually an old Indian burial ground. Um, and within that Indian burial ground, apparently there were some gold, silver, whatever that was there, right? But they can't excavate it because it is old Indian burial ground. So there is an, an instance in which this old man treasure hunter has told my coworker, there's treasure here and there was apparently treasure there. He gave him some other instances of uh, like old um, outhouses that the um, Confederate army would use all up and down the East coast. And they would take the gold they would have and throw it down in these outhouses to keep it away uh, from the union soldiers um, and gives him all these different locations of where these possibility could be. Um, so he's had an instance now where he knows that this treasure hunter has actually found the treasure. There's, there's documentation of it. He sent him on a treasure hunt and he found treasure. Couldn't get to it, but essentially found treasure. So he's two for two. Um, so he then calls him back and begins to listen to more of this information about where this swift silver mine is. So he gives him all kinds of handwritten notes, maps, uh, detailed information and all this stuff. So I listened to this whole story, right? And by this time, like I'm locked in and I'm writing as fast as I can and trying to consume as much of the information as I can. Cause I'm thinking, Hey, this afternoon, I'm going to go find this freaking treasure. Like he's going to tell me right where it's at. We're going to go get it. Um, so I'm consuming all this that I can consume. I'm writing out down and he's continuing to tell me, he said, so I've spent the last 10 or 12 years looking for this treasure. And he starts, pulls out his phone um, and starts showing me on Google maps, all the places that he has pinged uh, that where he is being and located um, that he thought potentially could be, uh, but hadn't found anything yet. Okay. So the treasure hunter told him of some geographical areas on the mountain um, that he could look for um, that would help him kind of get close to the entrance of this 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 cave or entrance of this mine shaft where all this silver is. Now, from the seventies till now, there's been a major highway that came through, so a lot of the area has been changed geographically. Okay, um, most of the information is there, but it's just not the exact same. Doesn't look the exact same as it did in in the seventies and eighties, obviously. So they've he, he's been up and he's been looking forward and he has all these different uh, handwritten maps and all these different uh, markers um, that he was given and that he's found, um, but has yet to find any of this treasure. Now, again, so here's me hearing this story, finding some similarities to this rock, because if you look at the rock and it looks very similar, you can find it as a mine shaft. It has a couple of different entrances, it looks like, on the rock. There are people at both entrances on this rock as well. So I'm making all these connections like, hey, there's there's something to do with this rock. And there's there's locations on Pine Mountain where other people have looked for this swift silver mine that has some similar carving. right? Not the exact same, but there's some you can draw the connections there. So I'm thinking that, hey, this is there, there is a definite connection here. So um, he, he proceeds to next couple of days come in and he's showing me maps and showing me all these pictures he's taken and, and just giving me all this different information. Um, and then tells me also of all the people who have been looking for this treasure for a couple of hundred years. Right. Um, and they've all been looking kind of up and down uh, the, the Appalachian Mountains in Pine Mountain. And it's been all the way up through eastern Kentucky and West Virginia and all the way down to eastern Tennessee and part of western North Carolina. And people have been looking for this for a very, very long time. 
Um, the interesting thing, though, is that the location that the treasure hunter gave my coworker is not the same place that everybody else has been looking. It's actually in a totally different place. That if you score all of the treasure hunting forums and all the Reddit and stuff, nobody really knows or even thinks to look where we think this treasure may be. Okay. Um, so all these things are lined up. So I come back and run back. And as soon as I can, I call these boys and tell them all this information. And we actually have my coworker on a podcast to talk about it. Um, and that is becoming, that became kind of the main source of our great mystery that we spent and have been spending several months talking about um, and looking for and, and coming up with more theories and trying to get as much information from all these different people that we can. Um, there's I mean, bukus of, of uh, rabbit holes that I could run down with this story, right? There's another coworker that comes in um, and he is a seventh uh, grandson of a, a Native American chief that was in the location called Captain Binge. Um, and Captain Binge was actually known in the area to try to take and raid the silver uh, from John Swift. Um, and there's mile markers and there's there's like historical signs all around our area about Captain Benji and some of his antics. Um, and my coworker he was telling me all this stuff as well. The old one comes in and is like, yeah, I'm the seventh grandson of, of Captain Benji. And he had information and about some of the same stuff as well. And he went as far to tell me that he could remember that his grandfather had a pocket or a leather purse uh, full of silver coins. He remembers it when he was young. And I think, bring those in, let me look at them. I don't, I don't want to take them, but I would love to see them and just kind of see if it has the Swift Silver Mine crest on it or whatever. He says, you know, I've never been able to find them. Um, I don't know where they went, but I do distinctly remember him having a pocket full of these or a per, leather purse full of these coins um, that were from, apparently from the Swift Silver Mining expeditions that took place in the 17 and early 1800s. Um there has been descriptions of this mine shaft um, having a uh, natural stair step uh, rock uh, feature to it. Um, that was kind of the entrance. Um, and that was one of the things that the treasure hunter from Florida told my coworker. It's one of the things you can look for that's been lost since the road came in. Um, at the bottom of that apparently was a smelting point that they had to bring the silver in. Uh, and melt it down into the work it into coins and different stuff. And that was kind of what was used. Uh, we also found out that in the midst of all this as well, that uh, John Swift, who was the, the person kind of the behind all of this would had stored several caches of silver kind of all around the area. Um, and if you actually get into John Swift silver journals, um, it says, keep looking for it. Um, it's going to make Kentucky rich. Um, and that there are places all around that, I've stored some of this silver, 25, 30,000, you know, pieces of $25,000, $30,000 of silver in each one of these caches, right? So that is kind of the the very uh, bit of a bare bones story of information of it's super interesting, super intriguing. Um, and it's kind of the great white buffalo, essentially, I guess, that we've been chasing now uh, for several months. Um, and the information about the caches of silver was something that we didn't know either. We didn't find this out until we learned about the whole Swift silver mine 
story and then looking into the journals and then these caches of silver that are apparently somewhere around the local area as well. People have been looking for. So we thought that we had two different mysteries here. Right? We eventually kind of realized that this rock really probably didn't have a whole lot to do with Swift Silvermine. It kind of just led us to the story of Swift Silvermine. And we were kind of on that path for a couple of months. Well, then Justin had a conversation with a guy that kind of intertwined these caches of silver back to our rock that we found in Hayside. So like we, it, it converged, it diverged, and it converged again, and it's kind of back apart. So it's been this huge mystery that's separate but intertwined all throughout the whole, pretty much the entirety um, of our podcast. It was a couple, wasn't just a couple months after uh, that we had started this kind of whole thing kind of kicked in. So we've got this silver mine that we are still gathering information on, uh, have you know, trying to get the best plan of action to go because where we think it's at is pretty pretty treacherous terrain um and there's boulders and there's rock faces and cliff faces and it's pretty much in the middle of no man's land so uh we're still in the process of trying to get up um on the mountain to do some investigating uh it'll literally be boots we're trying, on the to, we're trying to rent a we're trying to rent a helicopter so if anybody has a helicopter out there that wants to just let us kind of uh paratroop in let us know <laughs> but that as he's just kicked back on here. So these caches of silver that have kind of been around um, that led us back to this petroglyph on this rock that we found in Hayside. Uh, and he's a better orator of that story. So I'll let him kind of take it from there. Uh, yeah, it was a crazy, crazy coincidence. How everything I was at a, a family function, just a birthday party. And, um, somebody there had mentioned our episode that we did of the cliff rock carvings and the swift silver mine. And it was just, it was literally our initial, uh, we had sat down and, and planned on recording a, about a totally different topic. But Lance was like, no boys, just hit record. I got something to tell you. And it just led into this whole, you know, the, the, everything that he told you right there, only additional information. Um, but I was at this, we were talking about the show, we were talking about the episode, and, and you know, we were talking about the carvings up there, and there was a, an elderly man there, and he said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, that well site that's right up above that that rock, he said, I, I built that well site. I said, oh, did you? That's, that's really cool. He said, yeah, we used to go down there and check out that rock and the carvings and stuff on our lunch breaks. I was like, well, that's, that's really cool. So we were talking about the rock, talking about the carvings and, and all this and that, and and he said, yeah, he said there was a, it was, there was a weird carving on a big tree that was right at that well side as well. And then, you know, automatically, like my interest was piqued. I was, I said, you know, what kind of carving are we talking about? He said, I don't know. He said it was a big old beech tree and it had a bunch of these just, just initials that were carved into it. And it looked like a, a compass rose. So I thought, huh, well, I mean, that's really interesting. That's that's weird. So a couple of weeks later is when I really start digging into John Swift's journals. Well, in one of the entries in his journals, he mentions and talks about that him, a guy named Mundy, who actually led Swift to these silver mines to begin with, um, and a guy named Freeman, I think, carved their initials 
into a, they were they were running from uh, bandits pretty much. You know, people that were trying to to take the silver that they were trying to transport, and he gives a location that is close to a river and what he called was was big sandy creek um and he he gives a location he says from the headwaters of big sandy creek if you travel southwest um a certain distance and then and travel southwest farther along a ridge we left 22 to 30 thousand dollars worth of uh english mint or what, whatever, you know, they were, the currency was for the, the silver. We buried it there close to a peculiar rock and an Indian grave. And before we left, we carved our name or we carved our initials and a compass into an old beech tree. So when I see this in John Swift's journals, after I have the conversation with this guy at this, at this, birthday party my head exploded it was like you've you've got to be kidding me like this dude literally pushed over a piece of crazy historic evidence here to build this gas well site so that's what me and, me and my son actually went back up there a few weeks ago just to try to find this tree uh, obviously it had it fell and uh, like part of the pad of the location of the gas well site has been covered up. But I will say this, there's a grove of new beech trees that's growing toward the back of that well site. So, I mean, there is evidence that the, there was a beach probably pushed down and covered up at some point. And this new grove of trees that's coming up now then I thought, well, you know, this is lost. We might as well. Somebody after after Swift went back to England and was imprisoned in England because, you know, we really started looking into John Swift's life. You know, it was one of those things like if if we're going to know what this dude was doing, we need to know the man. You know, we need to look into him as much as possible. So, you know, I thought, well, this is one of those things when Swift went back over to England and was imprisoned. Over there, you know, he he didn't come back over for like 15 years. Um, you know, within that time, his buddies probably went and gathered this cache of, of silver. But then I got some information earlier today that may say, nah, keep looking. So I don't know, dude. It's 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 all extremely weird. And the what the way that Lance described it, you know, the way that it started out as one big mystery and us as one big adventure and us trying to tie everything together with the rock and the carvings and, and the, the silver and, and all this different stuff. And then it broke off. It branched into two separate mysteries, but then it's kind of intertwined back in each other. And, you know, here's the thing we're, we're looking at these journals. We're looking at landmarks. We're looking at things that to the best of our ability, you know, drawing out maps and, yeah, it may be we may be totally wrong about whatever we're thinking, but we could be right. What if, if we're totally we are? right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. So I mean, it's just it's nuts, dude. It's nuts. You know, I will say for all those out there listening, 
this is private property. Don't go out here to this cat or this place that we think is caches and start digging. Cause uh these old property owners down here in central Appalachia, they don't take real kindly to a whole lot of outsiders coming <laughs> east. They'll shot real quick. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta know some people to dig some dirt. So the the actual stone is on private property, correct? Yes. Yes, it is. Have you guys uh tried to like remove the rock or like move the rock to see if there's like any more markings like up underneath the rock or if there's even maybe something hidden up underneath the rock? No, it's like a whole cliff face. Well, that leads to the, me and my son, we went back up there. uh, What's it been? Was about three weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, something like that. that. It was a really pretty day. You know, it wasn't pouring the rain on us when we got up there. And we went specifically to look for this old beach tree, you know, and all this different stuff. But we went on back down to the rock. And, and this rock, it's there's no moving in. I mean, it's part of a, a giant cliff face. It's on the main crest of, of this cliff face. But we went down underneath, and I'm going to start throwing out start throwing out some theories here. We go down underneath the rock and we start looking around and ryan's got a couple really cool pictures of of like some fossilization and stuff down underneath the rock but off to the left of this rock there's this peak point well there's a standing column of rock that there's just a small gap away from that peak point but you look on down the hill a little bit and you start finding these some of the pieces of the rock that had broken off and what we really tried to do our intent our our intent was to find there's a missing gap where some of this cliff rock has fallen off you know due to weathering erosion whatever there's a gap between the carvings you can see where it extends to another part of the rock and you can tell that it was part of that initial carving but it's broken off so we went down underneath this cliff rock and we're talking like this is a straight up and down mountainside. I mean, it's really hard to traverse. So we go down underneath this rock. We're looking around. We're looking for the other parts of this carving. But we, I, I look off to my left and I see this peak point, this column, this standing column of rock away from it. And I'm looking back up at the cliff, you know, from, from a, a, a lower viewpoint. And I look off to my, no, I told you back, I look off to my right and see it. And I look off to my left and I see this other huge stone that's part of this cliff face. And it looks like the silhouette, looks like the outline of of like a man's head. You know, maybe pareidolium, it could totally be, but it just, it looks like the, a profile, a side profile of a man's head. So, I told Connor, my son, I said, we've got to go over there and check this place out too. We got, we got to check it out. And he said, well, before we do that, let's go down here and uh, look at this other cliff. Cause you know, probably, I don't know, 30, 40 yards down past that cliff is another cliff face that kind of wraps around the side of the mountain. Well, as we start down that way, we start seeing all these stones that are, they're cut. Uh, like that's the only way that I can describe it. They they look like they've been cut. Like they're smooth. Um, the edges are like right angles. I mean, they they literally look like they've been cut, and they're all together in one spot. 
Like they're not scattered around everywhere. Like all of these cut rocks that we found were in a sort of line between the lower cliff and the upper cliff. So then we get down here on this lower cliff and we're looking and there's a, there's a perfect gap, probably I've 12 to 15, maybe 18 feet wide in between this lower cliff, like separates it. This, this gap separates the lower cliff and you go off to the left a little bit and there's where all these cut rocks are. So we step back and we start looking at this and I said, Connor, just imagine now for just a moment that you're down here next to the river where whatever settlement would be here. And you're looking up at this gigantic double terraced cliff face. There's this gap right in between it. There's these cut stones that look like possibly could have been part of stairs or some sort of, of staircase. You have this silhouetted you know, profile of a man off to the left. You have this column of standing stone and this peak rock off to the right. This cliff face, yeah, obviously is, is natural. But what if some kind of ancient peoples or primitive peoples or whatever use this place as a uh, some sort of temple, some sort of, of, you know, worship complex or, or whatever, because literally, man, like if all the foliage was gone, if the trees were gone, if everything was gone and it was nothing but bare stone that you're standing there, like from where the town is looking up, it would look like a natural terraced almost like the front side of just or one side of these like old South American pyramids that you see how they're terraced and they have this one steady staircase that goes all the way up the middle. I'm telling you, man, like that was some of the, the postulating we were doing while we were there, but I don't think it could be far off. I mean, we go over to this, profiled face head looking rock and we look up underneath it and there's this there's a there's an entrance it's super small there's no way that you could fit into it but i took a light and got down on my stomach and was looking and it goes back i, I couldn't see the end of of how far it goes so i mean it's it's one of those things. I mean, when you're there, for me anyway, personally, when I'm there, it feels like a sacred space. I don't feel that way. I mean, we live in the woods. We're literally in the woods all the time. There's not not everywhere I go do I feel like this is important. Whatever is here is important. This is this is sacred. But this place, for some reason, for me now, like I said. It feels like a, a sacred space. And for my son, he's he he's tore out the frame the whole time he's there. He's he's like, Dad, this this place is just it's unsettling. I don't, I don't like it. I, don't, I just don't like this place. So I mean, I don't know. You know, it who knows what could lie under the dirt and leaves and soil and trees and, and all the stuff 
along the face of, of this hillside, this mountainside. But I know just as from standing there and looking and seeing, there's a lot there that I could say possibly at some point to an ancient people could have been some sort of complex. I mean, who knows how built up it could have been theoretically at one point because, you know, the Appalachian Mountains are, I believe they are the oldest mountain range in the world. And if there's been multiple cataclysms that have happened through time, like, I don't know if you guys get into the whole concept of the Americas possibly being the old world rather than like England and everything over there. So if these structures existed here predating all of that kind of history and have been beaten up through time, possibly went through multiple cataclysms. Like, who knows what it could have looked like a couple thousand years ago. And, I mean, more often than not, most people probably assume it's possibly something that's Native American related, but it could be even people that were before that to the point where, like, Native Americans were coming to this site and still seeing it partly beat down, and then maybe they uh, developed it to be a special spot or like a religious space or sacred ground because of something that was already there. And they kind of built up their own kind of folklore based around it. And even going into like your swift mind, uh, like possible locations for that. I mean, this could potentially that hole that you were looking in, maybe that's potentially an entrance that leads into it somewhere. I like, I don't know how big or how far it stretches out, but I mean, even going back to the, the whole mind concept. I mean, it seems like it's been found and lost multiple times through history. So who knows who the first original people who discovered that mind were in the first place. And I mean, it could have even been sacred off of that, that they knew that it led to at Highland. We're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. A bunch of silver. <laughs> yeah, well, even in Swift's journals, he talks about, you know, he he puts it out there that the Shawnee and the Cherokee were working these mines and, and mining and smelting this silver that came out of there. And his buddy Mundy was uh, a prisoner of the Shawnee for a while. So when Mundy got his freedom, he just went straight to Swift and he was like, look, bro, I can, I can show you where all these mines are. Let's, let's just go start taking the silver. So Swift had the ability and the and the capacity and the the capability was able to get me in there, and that's what he just started doing. He started mining all this silver. So then you had all these, in his words, all these Indian bandits and you know people like Chief Benji and all these people that were coming to steal the silver. Well, it was theirs to begin with. That's or what I was about. To they say. were the ones. They were the ones mining it. You know, to begin with. So it was one of those things that. 
Mundy left led Swift there, um, but the natives led Mundy there. He actually worked in these mines as a slave for the natives. So you know, it's it's one of these things that just the story builds and builds, and the more you look and the more you, you research and the deeper you dig, it's like when we think we're close, we just learn more and more and more. And and you know, for one answer we get, we get another two dozen questions that that arises on top of that. So it's just it's it's one of those things, man. Like you know, we don't know. We know where we think it possibly is we know that it's hard as crap to get there um i actually went a few weeks ago and and put eyes on the location that we believe that it's at and (laughs) like in my mind that day i was like no i'm going out there to it i'm going i had a few hours i had a few hours i was like i'm going to it so i started walking and I walked and I walked and I walked and I walked until I realized um, I'm going to have to turn back around because by the time I get back out, I'm out of time. You know, I, this is this is my time limit for the day. And I wasn't close. And this is by far the, the way that I was going is by far the easiest way to get there. So for us to do any real kind of exploration in this, the, the place, the site that we believe this silver mine to be, or at least one of the locations, because also in Swift journals, he talks about how they travel across the ridges and they, and they find the locations to three different mines. So at least one of the locations, it's the, the, the best possible way is for us to like have a long weekend or, or whatever and to take a bunch of tents and and just packs and decide, you know what, we're going out here and we're not leaving until, you know, Sunday evening or Monday morning rolls around or we find it or we die of hunger. If we find, maybe we'll find Bigfoot at the same time or we'll just kill two, <laughs> two birds with one stone, man. You're just yeah. chilling in the mine. <laughs> this yeah. is my gold. <laughs> hey, he may be, dude. He may be. He may be a guardian of this mine. Oh shit! Never know. I'm not gonna fight him. <laughs> so, <laughs> have you guys uh, ever actually like physically seen any of the silver that's come out of this mine? Yeah, there are. There have been um, coins found in the region. Um, you know, Lance mentioned Pine Mountain earlier. There's there have been a couple uh, different coins around Pine Mountain. There's legends and lore that people have found. Um, I guess a couple of these caches on Pine Mountain, uh, and that's kind of a mountain range that that travels between Virginia and Kentucky. Um, but yeah, there's been there's been evidence of this mine come out of here. Uh, I was actually just reading an article earlier today from 1980 to where they were talking about you know the geology of Kentucky of Eastern Kentucky wouldn't withhold enough. Uh, whatever it was a bunch of geology talk that, that would bore anybody but it's pretty much just saying the land wouldn't be able to produce the amount of silver that John Swift claims that he was able to mine well then just a few short years later all this silver starts popping up that people are finding around you know some of these locations so actually 
there, there's a bunch of stuff that I've never even shared before that we're talking about tonight. So Shane, you, you're getting some <laughs> like exclusive content here. Our boss, uh, the owner of the company that me and Ryan work for, dude, he's been infatuated with this Swift Silver Mine from the time that he was a kid, which a lot of people are. I mean, in in our area in Central Appalachia, a lot of people live, breathe, and die turn into that, you know, crazy frazzle haired old man, you know, just, you know, with a little tick going on talking about how he was so close to John Swift silver. That may be us one day, who knows? But he claims that a friend of his uncle's and he, he showed me a picture that this guy had sent him and he had kept for forever and had took a picture and on his phone now of this guy holding three silver pieces in the palm of his hand. But he said this guy went in one day, found an entrance to one of these caches on Pine Mountain, went into this this cave system, um, had to go on his hands and knees the entire way, got in there and found an enormous cache of silver that he filled his pockets, came back out, went to somewhere the the local hardware store or something got a couple five gallon buckets came back and couldn't find the entrance again now i know that sounds that sounds ridiculous that sounds far-fetched but it's the same dude that's holding three silver pieces in the palm of his hand in a picture I mean, he so, could even be saying that too. I, I was even starting to kind of wonder if considering your guys' location of where you think it is, is totally different than all the other treasure hunters online. I feel like there's a good handful of people that know where these locations are. So they purposely throw people off from them. And even in their own logic, they don't want to tell anybody where they're at because they don't want to be discovered for it. Because as soon as you discover that gold, you're not, or not gold, but silver, you're not making nearly as much money off of it because it's a historical thing. You know, they're going to want to take it. They're going to want to put it into multiple museums, things like that. But if you know where this thing's at and you go back whenever you can and you just take your own silver, you melt it down to something else, do whatever with it. Potentially, you can make way more money off of it that way. And Oh, yeah, for you know, sure. You're not getting the publicity for it. But I mean, shit, you have your own gold or your own silver catch. You can go to whenever you want and pull some money out whenever you need it. So look, here's the thing. The day that we go silent on all this is the day that you know we found it. <laughs> That's when uh, you saying that now. Now, as soon as you guys go silent, you're going to have a bunch of random people coming out of the woodwork like, hey, so, you know, I've been having some financial issues lately, man. I just wish somebody could help me out a little bit. <laughs> well, I can't help you, but uh, you can head on over to Patreon if you want to and <laughs> throw a couple bucks their way. <laughs> <laughs> but no man i mean it is and and that's the thing like I, i'm sure that you're right there there have probably been people that have found parts of these caches and and never said a word and wanted to keep it and rightfully so that's the smart thing to do because as soon as you say anything the government is swooping in guaranteed we've already done the homework on it uh, there's a 10 percent finder's fee for any, any kind of historical treasure or whatever the government gets 90 period but the government can't get what they don't know about. So it's it. You're probably 100% right on all that. But the thing with us, I mean, obviously this makes for great content and with a podcast, you know, we got to talk about it, but it's so much more than just the treasure. 
like the way that all these details have came about and, and the stars have aligned in, in certain areas and situations. And like, there's just so many things that have happened that you could pick up a book and, and read a mystery novel and it would line up with a lot of the things that we're going through, you know, the, what we're living. So just that part of it. And that's what we've said a, a ton of times. If in the end of our lives or whatever, we never come across a single piece of silver. If we never figure out exactly what these rock carvings are or whatever, it'll still be worth it because the philanthropic, the philanthropic side of it, this, this journey that it sent us on and, and the conversations that it's brought up and the this discussions and the looking into our area and the history of that, that's made it all worth it. I mean, just the, just to say, Hey man, for a little while, I got to play Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's worth it, man. It's worth to me. It's worth it. Now, obviously it would be a huge plus if we found this silver, <laughs> yeah. but it's been wild, dude. It's been wild. So like we always said, like if nothing else, we've at least got a really cool story. True. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's an intriguing story that even as the more layers get added to it, the more intriguing the story becomes. And as many times as we've told this um, over the last several months, and it's been several now. Like I still get like goosebumps and still get like fluttery feelings thinking about like all the stuff that we found out and the potential of this huge, you know, this, this chance of us actually finding this thing. And it's, it, it's, it's in the more we add to it, just the more excited I get about telling it over again, because it's a unique story. Um, and it's an interesting story that we're lucky to be a part of. Yeah, lucky to get to tell. So you guys got me sitting on the edge of my seat with this story. That no matter how many times I hear it, uh, it's one of those things that I catch new details every time you guys mention it, and it's just as fascinating every single time. <laughs> well, I'm glad, man. I mean, that's what it's about because just like Lance said, every time we talk about it, you know, it it gives you that drive and that 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 want to to okay, let's just stop everything we're doing and get out in the woods and find this thing. You know, that, yeah. that's what I feel every what single time. What the hell time. are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. Let's go. And you, I mean, it, dude, it's hard, you know? You got full-time jobs. I mean, obviously, you got to pay your bills before you find the treasure, but you got full-time jobs. You got families and responsibilities. It's And I told my wife the other day, it's a catch-22 because uh, you'll be set for life, though, if you find the treasure. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was getting ready to say. I told my wife the other day when I was going back up there to the rock with you know the new information that that we've had and found. Uh, we were heading up that day, and she was like, well, you and Connor just need to be home you know, by this time because we're doing – I said, look, here's the deal. You are really, really cramping my style of exploration here, number one. <laughs> number two, whenever I find this silver – you ain't getting a dime, not a dime. You ain't getting nothing. Sorry, you're going to have to keep working. You're going to have to pay your own car payment. And that's when she said, that's all right. We ain't signed no prenup. <laughs> <laughs> you get it anyways, at least half of it. 
<laughs> if you ain't no punk, holla, we won't bring it up. <laughs> You're sitting there on your gold throne. Uh, she's going to work every day. And she's like, hey, yeah. do you mind? Just give her, br- break one in half. Give her like half a piece of a silver coin. <laughs> Here you go. This Bot will set you off. for the week. <laughs> Buy a little corner off. Flip it at her. Ding. <laughs> king of the castle. King of the castle. You the this. You the this. Big chair. King of the castle. <laughs> <laughs> No, man, it's been, it is, it's just, it's wild every time. And that's the thing. Like every time we sit down with somebody else, you know, like I told you, you're getting new details. It's not, well, that's because we figure out more. We find out more, you know, we, we haven't even gotten into the, the point where John Swift went and married one of chief Cornstalk's daughters. I mean, that's a, a huge paranormal connection into all that. So, I mean, it's just, you look at the life of John Swift just without the silver mine, and it's an amazing story. You add the silver mine and somebody that actually documented because, you know, yeah, we know the natives were working it. We can theorize that somebody was probably working it before them, you know, the Welsh natives or the Nordic people that came down or the lost one of the lost tribes of Israel or six fingered red headed giants, you know, they could have been working this silver long before all these other people. So it's just, we, we, you know, we don't know who, but we know who documented it. And that's, that's all we can follow. I mean, you know, it, it but his life without it would still be super interesting. You know, he was related to the, author and poet you know famous english author and poet jonathan swift um that's kind of how he had you know the family name swift and all this prestige and and he was a seafarer that he could you know buy up all these ships and these crews and and just go explore and sail to the new world and and you know sail into alexandria and and do a little bit of pirating that he didn't put in his journals but we know that he did he done a little pirating off the the coast of of the east coast of America, and you know he settled in Alexandria. He joined General Braddock's army. He was fighting all these natives and all this different stuff, you know, trying to conquer land and do like what every conquer European conquered comes and, and does, just gain land and, and kill whoever's there and take everything that's belongs to them. Um, and then, like the coolest part of this whole story is. General Braddock's troop got bashed, like got their teeth kicked in one day by the Shawnee and a, a paired military group of Shawnee and Cherokee. And when that happened, Swift being the intelligent man that he was said, nope, no, <laughs> y'all, y'all take me as a slave. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And he goes in and again, just being this, this man of, I'm guessing he was a, a great BSer kind of like some people that I know because he's a slave one minute, uh, a prisoner of war. And the next minute he's marrying chief Cornstalk's daughter. So he did something (laughs) right when all this is going on. So, I mean, it's just the life of the man is extremely interesting. Um, And, you know, it ended tragically. He goes over, he goes back over to England, stands in front of the crown and says, hey, there's a lot of crap going over here in these colonies, and it's going to lead to war. Like, y'all are going to have to do something because war is coming. 
And they didn't like that. They didn't like what he had to say about that. So they threw him in prison. Well, he rotted in a, an English prison for close to 15 years. And by the time he got out, he was an old man. He could barely get around. He was blind, completely blind. So he catches a, a an Uber ship back over to the U.S. because he's like, I got a lot of silver over here that, that I just left. Well, when he gets back and he's trying to find all of his lost silver, nobody wants to take him to it because they've either taken whatever they want or they have no interest in helping some old whacked out blind dude that claims to be John Swift coming back over here. So he, uh, he finds a love interest around Bean Station, Tennessee, um, has all these journals, you know, these lifelong journals, or at least from the time that, that he came over the first time to the, to the Americas and leaves all these journals with his love interest. And, and that's, you know, that's what we have today. A couple maps that he drew in there, um, all these entries, I mean, it's just, it's a super interesting story, just the life of the dude. Then you throw in all this treasure and, man. Did you guys uh, ever figure out, like, how exactly, like, the mine was lost? Like, was it just one of those things where people just stopped working it and it kind of got lost in nature? Or was there, like, uh, like something that happened that made it so, like, the entrances got collapsed in? And then also kind of extending on that also, considering that it seems like there was, a, there was, like, the Native American aspect to it, too. Is there anything that you guys dug in dug into as far as there being like a curse on the mine or anything like that? Well, I haven't found anything about the curse. As far as the mine being lost, it's theorized that before Swift went back, made that voyage back to England, that he intentionally covered the mines up so that nobody could profit on them, you know, when he left. So um, and sorry, Justin, the area where we think this may be there are giant boulders um, that, like in the, in the in our part of the Appalachian Mountains, like we don't have you don't have boulders. We have big rocks and stuff, you know, but we don't like boulders. Is not really something that you see a lot of. Um, so it's unusual. They're unusually placed. Um, they're huge um, to the point where, like, you would have to pretty big time equipment to get them moved. Uh, dynamite, you know, the whole, you have to pretty blow them out of there and move them with some huge equipment. But there are some very large boulder areas that are covering or th that are around, I guess, this area we think it's at. Now, um, my coworker has, has been on the boulders, has seen the boulders. You can look down through them, um, like see areas or caves or just, you know, locations down through the boulders. Um, but you're going to have to repel down in there if you can get in there at all. Um, getting equipment to them would be a task in itself. Um, so the legend is, the kind of the idea is that they, John Swift and his workers kind of covered these, sealed these things up. Um, I, I think that's the most logical uh, explanation as to why nobody's found this yet. Um, is because they did a good job. It's pretty remote area. Uh, the geography around the locations changed extensively because of roads and just uh, new growth of populations and civilizations and stuff. Um, so I think that's probably why it's never been found. 
um, is because they did a pretty good job. Not, they did a pretty good job hiding it, um, and made it where it was almost impossible to get to. So uh, you said that there was kind of like a like a paranormal aspect to it too. Um, as far as that goes, with like him being married and kind of associating with like the Native Americans, where where does like the paranormal aspect come into the mind exactly? Well, I mentioned that he married the daughter of Chief Cornstalk. Uh, Chief Cornstalk is the native Shawnee chief. Um, he kind of occupied the region of the Ohio River Valley. Um, he is the chief that was executed in a little town in West Virginia called Point Pleasant. Um, and when he was executed by the settlers there in Point Pleasant, he it's, it's said that he issued a curse upon the entire region and the entire land that any settlers that, that came in with wrong intent, you know, disaster would befall them. Um, in this little town of Point Pleasant, there was a silver bridge collapse back in the 60s, and there was a, a really weird entity that was hanging around at the time by the name of the Mothman. So you go to Point Pleasant, they have the Mothman Festival every year. They have the Mothman statue. Um, anybody that, that wants to go check out John Keel's writing of the Mothman Prophecies, will come to, to learn really, really quickly that the Mothman was only a small part of what was going on in Point Pleasant back in the 60s and when the Silver Bridge collapsed, um, you know, killing dozens and dozens and dozens of people. Uh, there was a crazy UFO flap going on at that time for a couple years. I'm talking like everybody was seeing UFOs around the vicinity there was uh, these weird men in black, and I'm not talking like, you know, Will Smith and, and um, Tommy Lee Jones. I'm not talking like that kind of men in black. I'm talking like the old accounts of men in black, you know, weird dudes with these thick rubber soled shoes that spoke in these sing songy, weird rhythmic uh, voices that would ask weird questions like what is your time and pick up a ballpoint pen and, and not really understand what it was or how it worked or would have cables uh, visible between the, their pants leg and their sock, you know, all these weird different men in black that would come asking about UFO encounters or, or sightings. Um, almost everybody in the area reported poltergeist activity in their homes when all this was going on. Um, you know, weird electrical stuff, stuff with the phones, you know, just beeping and, and pick up the phone and there just be like buzzing and, and vibrating and static and, you know, TVs coming on by their set, like just weird poltergeist activity the whole time going on. So you hear Point Pleasant, you think the Mothman right off the bat, like that's all that people think. You read John Keel, who was boots on the ground while all this was going on. And you realize really, really quickly, the Mothman was just a small part of that. And that's not even getting into the ultra terrestrials and injured Cole and, and, you know, his group of, of people, Woody Derenberger, like there's a lot involved in that area. And if you believe the, the curse myth to be true, the legend there, it was due to 
the sailors killing the most prominent chief in the area at that time, Chief Cornstalk. I mean, that may not even necessarily be related to him specifically, because I mean, when you dig into the whole folklore behind like the Harbingers of Doom, you got stuff like the Chernobyl Blackbird, for example. And yep. whenever there's these like major events, these things pop up. And I mean, obviously a lot of people like to relate the whole Mothman thing to potentially being from Chief Cornstalk, but I almost feel like it's something like beyond that though, that just because of how, how many different places this has happened in besides that. And I don't remember the name of the creature exactly off the top of my head, but there's a thing in Cherokee folklore where it's this like bird creature that again, kind of fits the lore of it. And it's seen before like traumatic events or before like bad events happen. Uh, not exactly the Mothman. It's not described exactly the same. There's like a totally different name for it, but the Raven mocker is that, yeah, that may have been what it was, but, uh, yeah, it, it extends past that. And uh, I mean, kind of getting into some cryptid stuff, too, because I'm sure, you know, you guys being from uh, Appalachia, you guys are definitely into the heavily into the cryptid stuff. Um, what's what's kind of like your guys view on, I guess, like the the humanoid flying thing? Do you think that it's like a flesh and blood creature or do you guys think that these things pop up from traumatic events specifically? <clears throat> Interdimensional. Boom, Ryan. That, yes, sir. Gosh, you just made, I feel like a proud papa right then. <laughs> I was actually just reading your mind. That was- <laughs> what are your thoughts, Lance? I don't know. I have the whole flying entity. I, to me, I think that always is usually likened to or coordinated with traumatic events i think i don't know if it's a bringer of those traumatic events if it's a um sign that they're coming or if it's just what people who have these traumatic events kind of manifest them into is this idea of this flying wing creature or whatever um i just think that it's more kind of like how do you describe something that you can't describe? And I think there's just, there's some commonality in that when traumatic events happen, that people kind of liken this, we're all scared of things that big, scary things that fly at a single bump in the night. Um, I think that's a way that we can kind of describe like, Hey, yeah, there's had some really bad stuff happen. And then maybe I saw a really big owl or a bird or something or whatever that was around the same area. And so I just kind of liken those two things together. I'm, I'm not as big like on thinking like that Mothman. I love the lore of it. love the stories I hear about it, but that one to me is a little more of a reach as far as being like a, what I would call legitimate cryptid. I know that's crazy. We've been using those two words together, um, but what I would you know, Bigfoot or you think of Dogman and stuff, those more, those manifest themselves more, I think physically to people than this, flying wing entity does if that makes any sense i mean i believe none of that i believe (laughs) wrong (laughs) i believe i believe that due to and and i don't know why or how it happens i would attribute a lot of it nowadays and, and you know maybe even back in the mothman time because if you really 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 look at like the tnt area 
there was a lot of governmental stuff going on in that area at that time. So there's probably a dumb right under this TNT area, probably a particle accelerator because we know CERN had a particle accelerator going on around the same time. There's reports of these big government trucks coming in and out of that area nonstop, an area that's been closed down for years and years and years and years. So if we have something that's going on, that's breaking through the whatever time space continuum of our reality. And we're talking inquiries of our reality. <laughs> you like that? That was really good. That was a good one. <laughs> if you look at these particle accelerators and somehow they're tearing through that fabric into our reality, they, I believe are the cause of these terrible events. Now what comes through these portals that are open. Nephilim portals, man. That's it. What comes through in there, they just happen to come through. They don't want to be here. There's a lot of accounts of Mothman where he's just like, he ain't doing nothing. He's just looking around like, where am I at? What am I, what am I doing? How did I get here? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Dude, yeah, for real. I always throw in the whole concept of like time slips when it comes to things like this. And when it comes to like the, the big traumatic event happening, uh, you look into hauntings and there's like the residual hauntings. So it's something that like echoes through time and it's just like a replay. So if there's multiple layers of reality happening all at once and a traumatic enough event happens that it creates a ripple that it's seen through all aspects of time, who's to say yes. just off of that, it's not even a particle particle accelerator, but that's creating a rift where something's potentially able to slip through a time slip. And Yes, I love it. I mean, even, I even just expanding onto that too... Like uh, the the other thing, like you were saying, with the military being in the area, um, I always throw the idea that we were openly saying that we we're cloning goats back in the '90s. So when it comes to like gene splicing or like creating these like weird creatures, like I like to first come off saying that I don't think that they're taking a person, adding a gene to it, and then they're creating these like monster-like creatures. I think that they're yeah, they totally are creating something like from the embryo, you know, like they're taking human DNA and mixing it with something else and they're growing it and raising it up as its own specific creature rather than doing that like monster movie thing where they turn somebody into a creature. But like if we already had the technology to clone back in the nineties, like hands down, dude, I, I would put money on the fact that we have technology to be able to gene splice two different species together and create this donkey like creature, I guess best way to word it. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I I don't think that that's too far off from the realm of possibility at all. I mean, you you hear these accounts or read these these accounts or or whatever of a bunch of these uh, Bigfoot sightings or Dogman sightings, and a lot of times they're really close to known military bases. You know, we have no idea, and we've talked about it on our show a thousand times. We have no idea how many dumbs are operating under our feet. No idea. Especially and, in our area. If I'm going to put a dumb in, I'm going to put it in Appalachia. Nobody's paying any attention to that. I was going to say, people hear all. the mechanical grinding too before dogmen encounters. So That's I've always had this theory about to. back rooms or, you know, like the cabin in the woods, shit hidden underground kind of a thing. And they just like release these things for the sake of like <laughs> testing yes. it just to see what it could potentially do. Because if you're looking at it from a military standpoint, you have a bunker 
or not even a bunker, just like a military base in the middle of another country. You don't want to be associated with going into that base and attacking it. So what do you do? You drop this dog man on it. It goes around, attacks everything in the base. Everybody tells these crazy stories of what happened. Nobody believes them and you have no tie back to what happened. But you have to test these things out to see what they're potentially capable of. So release them on people here and there and in parks. I mean, that could even be just feeding them. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure crate training a dog, man. You can only keep him in the tra- in the crate so long. I mean, if you got to stretch his legs. House, <laughs> you get a dog in the house. You got to let it go outside and use the bathroom and and explore and do whatever. I mean, that's what happens. It's coming back with people instead of a bird, man. And they're just like, God Absolutely. damn it, they did it again. Fuck. <laughs> there wasn't supposed to be anybody in this area. Now we're just gonna have to mark it off. It's a missing four one one. We'll just call it that. <laughs> that's why we don't keep documentation on any of these missing persons cases. That's why when you get to the age of 18 and somebody goes missing, it's always, well, they just walked off. They could they just walked off. I was talking this to somebody album. yesterday, too, that they'll uh, intentionally leave cases open so that people can't get information on the case because it's an open case. And they'll leave it open for like 50 years. They may know the complete conclusion to it, but they don't want people to be able to dig into it and pull information from it. So they just leave it as open and just have it sit. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I believe it. I believe it. Man, I'm with it. I'm with all that. Um, so like as far as like your guys' region and stuff, uh, do you guys have any like uh, I guess super prevalent like folklore as far as like dogman or Sasquatch encounters or anything like that goes? Or not even your wow. region, but I guess like specifically where you guys live because Appalachia is completely covered in a bunch of different cryptid lore. But <laughs> as far as like yeah. your guys' hometown, do you guys have anything um that sparks interest? Wood bugger. Yep. He's, he's even got his own restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> he runs delicious. it. You see him hanging out in the back sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's delicious. He's actually out front. You can take a picture with him before you ever ever even go in. You can also do the Wood Booger Challenge. It's this big giant burger and one pound of French fries, and you do it less than 20 minutes, you get a T-shirt. I got two of them. So <laughs> take that, Wood Booger. But no, yeah, we've got a, we've got a ton of... Uh, you know, Ryan mentioned the wood booger. We had finding Bigfoot come into our area, you know, that whole cast and crew, uh, I think 2011, 2013, something like that. And they done a big town hall meeting talking, you know, just taking accounts from uh, a bunch of people. We have a, we have a ton of Bigfoot sightings around here, around our area. Um, Actually, one of the coolest stories, and I've talked about it a few times just because it was something that I was working on. One of the coolest stories I got from a a guy that told it that wanted to remain anonymous. His great-grandparents had a homestead that was not far from the Brakes Interstate Park that's in our hometown. Uh, and he said his great-grandparents, you know, back in that day, they all their food, you know, they grew, they raised, they did everything. You know, they'd make a trip into town, you know, once every three or four months just to get, you know, necessities, flour and, and all that stuff. Um, and he would talk about how once a year that these hairy wild men would come out to the, the edge of the woods, you know, just to the tree line and they would hoop and holler and scream and, and throw rocks around and just make their presence known. And that was them telling the, the, this guy's great grandparents that live there that you can either leave us out a portion of everything you got, or we're just going to come and take it. 
because the first couple of years they just came and took it. So they would leave a portion of everything that they raised out there in the dead of night. These things would come out. They would take whatever was there, go back into the woods. And then, you know, they, they would do this for a couple of weeks, you know, when it came harvest time and, and time to slaughter the slaughter, the hogs and then slaughter the beef, you know, all that stuff. Um, they would come out, take their portion, and they wouldn't hear anything from them the rest of the year. So I don't know if it was, you know, you look at it like a, a hibernation thing, or I don't know if it was like a migratory thing or whatever, but, you know, they would they would have to pay tribute to these wild, hairy men that lived in the woods around them. So that's one of the coolest stories because it, it goes back, it has ties for me to that old, you know, a lot of the old native legends about how they traded with, with Bigfoot and Sasquatch. Uh, you know, had relationship with them. Like they had their little community and, you know, the natives had theirs. You just didn't bother each other. So that's one of the cool, cool stories that I've heard about as far as on the cryptid side of it. Have you, uh, considering all of you guys hang out in the woods frequently, have you guys had any possible weird encounters with Sasquatch, different other types of cryptids? And uh, also kind of expanding on that just because it's always a fun conversation. I like to ask everybody, uh, what what do you guys kind of view Bigfoot as? Do you see him as like a like a flesh and blood like animal, or do you guys make that interdimensional connection, or like what, what side of the fence are you guys sitting on currently? And I know obviously opinions on that change frequently. Yeah. Uh, no, I've I've never had any experiences in the in the woods. Uh, I've heard a lot of them. Uh, I've talked to a lot of people that some really weird things that have happened to, but me personally. I've never had any weird cryptid experiences. Either of you boys. Knock nope. on wood. Next time not. you go and looking for that stone, you're going <laughs> to have a full image of a Sasquatch sitting on that stone. <laughs> I hope he's sitting on it. Look, it's staring me right in the eyes. Sitting there meditating. Peace sign up. <laughs> yes. Yes. That'd be awesome. Then he just warps into another dimension. That's actually what it is. It's uh, the Bigfoot. Uh, transit location. <laughs> it's like a bus stop for Bigfoot. <laughs> it's like holy crap. That's a great theory. It's like Train Depot <laughs> nine and three quarters. <laughs> <laughs> that gap between the rock. They just slide through that. Just phase holy through. Holy crap! That's <laughs> genius. I bet that's what it is. Uh, no, I, I haven't had any experiences. Um, my view on Bigfoot, I think, changes day to day. Honestly, I mean. You know, today I'll wake up thinking one thing and I'll wake up tomorrow thinking another thing. You know, it, there's weird stories out there, man. There's there's weird stuff. You know, you start talking about the lights and you start talking about all this different stuff that goes along. And it's like, well, did, I mean, this has to be some form of, of spiritual creature. It has to be interdimensional. It has to be, you know, something. But then you start hearing accounts that you know, that, that really, really woo stuff. It's like the 1%, you know, the 99% are all things that you could relate to a biological flesh and blood creature, you know, infrasound. Well, tigers have that. I mean, the, all the blurriness and doing all this different stuff. Well, there's creatures out there that can camouflage themselves that that can cloak. Uh, There's marine animals that can go completely translucent. I mean, um, there's even the thing too, where if they have different layers of 
color in their hair that they can flex muscles different ways and blend in with different backgrounds too. Yeah. So, I mean, I, it's, it's one of the Lance has really good viewpoints on the whole Bigfoot thing. Just to throw in a Lance. fun theory. What if they're, uh, interdimensional, but unintentionally, like I've thrown this theory a few times and I find it fascinating, but like you hear about time slips as far as like people go. And there's some people that it'll correct. And then there's other people that claim that pretty much like they'll walk through like a time slip and then they'll be kind of stuck in whatever this new timeline is. So just throwing it into the Bigfoot idea, what if they've walked through a thinning in the veil and some of them will get pulled back when the timeline corrects itself. And that's where like the foot stop footprints stop. And then the other mm-hmm. ones, they walk into this reality through some kind of time slip. And then because of them not correcting back into that timeline, they're here. And then they start a breeding population here. And this could have happened a really long time ago, but just weird way of thinking about it. What if they're uh, unintentionally interdimensional? Yeah, I like that. I like that. A good thought. That'd be a good name for a podcast, too. unintentionally <laughs> interdimensional. That does have a ring to it. You say that, watch, and then somebody's going to pop up and we're going to be oh, like, yeah. trademark, give yeah. us credit. <laughs> In another two months, that'll be a podcast. <laughs> But uh, Lance, I would definitely love to hear some of your uh, Sasquatch things. I'm a flesh and blood, as of now, this just changes so much. Of course, everybody does. I'm a flesh and blood believer um, that Bigfoot is walking around, no, like any other animal in the woods. Um, But I think the reason that we can't see it um, is because they have either evolved or have just the trait uh, innately in them that we don't see on their spectrum. So I always give the example when I talk about this. Got a buddy that I hunt with, uh, and he shot one of the very first time he shot a deer. Of course, it's in the fall, and we knew we were about 150 yards away. We knew where he had shot it at. Of course, it ran off, so we waited half an hour or so to kind of go check on it. Didn't want to scare it off. So as we're waking the trip over, um, we get to the location where we know the deer has been shot. We can see the rustling of the leaves where it has ran. Um, So we're going to start looking for the blood trail so we can figure out where, where it died at. Well, he stands in the area where we knew it was shot at. And I kind of start making small circles as they get wider. Um, just trying to find any, any, any sign of blood at all. And I don't see any, it's been five, 10 minutes. So I kind of walk back up and just holler at him. Like, Hey, you see anything yet? Any direction? He's like, oh man, I, I can't see anything. So I kind of just walk back up to where he's at and I'm looking down at his feet and he's standing in all kinds of blood. Um, but he can't see it, right? So he's colorblind, didn't know it at the time, but he was colorblind to that red of the blood. And because it was laying on orange and yellow and red leaves, it just looked like regular wetness just from the fall time of the year. He had no, could not tell that he was standing in blood at all, right? So I think that very much in, in, in a similar way, um, I, I, I don't like to call it cloaking because um, that sounds a little too paranormally for me. Um, but I think it has a trait that either it can change body temperatures um, or has different portions of fat that it can activate um, or turn on or, or it kind of much like a chameleon kind of blends into its environment. And we simply just don't see the color on the spectrum of our eyes. So we are essentially, to put it really simply, we are colorblind to Bigfoot. And that's why we don't see them more often 
like all the time, right? Now there's there's video, like there's instances of people see them and all that stuff. And I think it's you know, usually you see them walking like in between trees, or you kind of see what kind of like a cross of their cover. That's kind of when you see them on the videos or whatever. I think it's because they haven't, they've not made that, they've not kicked on that whatever that trait to cover the area that they're in, and that's why we're able to see them. I think a lot of times we're probably in the woods and probably looking right at them and I have no idea they're there um, because we just don't see on the same, we, we don't see on the spectrum that their body is, is in. And I think it's a trait that they have. That's why we don't see them. I mean, that could even go into the, like the active predator camo that people talk about where they can see that there's like a moving object, but they can't exactly like make out what it is. And I mean, even going into what you're saying about different light spectrums, um, one thing that I've been kind of tossing around lately is the fact that, when you break down anything to its smallest component, it's all about particles and the way that the particles and atoms move themselves. So potentially, like what well, the things that we know in our reality, they the particles act a certain way. So if there's multiple layers of reality that's existing on top of our reality, these particles could all be moving totally different directions from each other where there could be two solid masses, but the particles are moving in totally different rhythms of vibration. So those things are able to theoretically pass through each other without directly making contact. But then you hear about these like vocalizations with Sasquatch and usually the vocalizations are heard and then people are seeing them. So what if the vocalizations are potentially like shifting their particle vibration to make it so that they're more phased into like this reality? Because, I mean, at least when you go back into, like, the Yowie and you talk about, like, Clever Men and a lot of, like, the Australian lore as far as Sasquatch goes, they talk about them being able to, like, walk back and forth through the veil. And it could be something as simple scientifically breaking it down to it's just the movement of particles that they have to be moving a certain way for our brain to be able to register them in our reality. But all these things could be just as physical as us and moving all around us, but it's just a matter of, like they're able to pass through each other because they're moving on in two totally different directions of movement and they, they just don't collide in the process. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, anything is possible. I mean, in my mind, anything is possible completely, but it's, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting how, if you talk to 10 different people, you'll have 10 different theories on Bigfoot, on what he is, on how he operates, on how it all works. And, you know, that's why this this realm that we operate in, that's why it's so much fun, man. It's because no matter what you're talking about, there's, there's not really a, a right or wrong answer. I mean, it's all just mine and Ryan's new favorite words now. It's all postulating theories. <laughs> Dude, I just let my mind wander as far as that kind of stuff goes. Like, I don't know if you guys listen to other episodes of my show that I've done, but I always get really heavy into the theories because it's one of those things, man, that if you don't just kind of like spit out the idea that you have, then you aren't able to like fully shape it and kind of come up with an idea behind it like you can have this idea about particles moving differently but until you actually start to talk it out like it makes sense in your head but you have to get it out to scientifically figure out how that would work and that's the only yeah. way that we're ever going to get anywhere is just people need to stop being scared of throwing out a theory and just throw out the theory because i mean you could be wrong you could be right who knows but it's just the aspect of even just using like mental exercise because when you're able to think deep into weird theories that's kind of like what progresses 
people as a whole to be able to work that brain muscle in order to be able to think on a more complicated level of how things could scientifically be working in nature. Because I mean, shit, everything's looked at as magic until we figure out the science behind it. And then we just figure out it's just a matter of a process of how things work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whenever I start postulating my theories and going on these big tangents and trying to talk them out, I get sunned down off of the, off, off the podium. So I'm Damn glad right. that you have. Let me do it quick. That's <laughs> You got to put a stop to that shit, Shane, because he'll keep going. <laughs> hey, I was trying to get it out of him because I'm always down for it. I always love being able to bounce theories back and forth. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, if I if I just got started talking to all my different theories on, on it, we would literally be here all night. But that's just how I feel today about what Bigfoot is. Tomorrow <laughs> could be something totally different. I mean, it's just... Yeah. I'm a big interdimensional guy, big, big interdimensional guy. I believe that the multiverse is legit. I believe that parallel universes are totally real. I believe that, you know, junk can probably come in and out and in, in, in between. That's probably the, the cause of a lot of these missing 411 cases. That's probably, I mean, I feel like people or things or whatever could get trapped in this other one. I mean, I'm, I feel like that would explain a whole lot of the weird that's out there. And you have top physicists, you know, today saying, well, these multiple universes, they're not just a possibility, they're a probability. So, I mean, I don't think that I'm too far off in that. I think that it, that could explain away a whole lot of things, but it's just something that we don't understand. You know, it's portals, Ryan. It always comes back. Yeah, it's portals. We're all just a big organic simulation, man. That's what it is. And all of these different beings and weird things that we're seeing are all one thing outside of the simulation that's popping in and just playing a video game and selecting different characters just to fuck with the, you know, (laughs) ones that are stuck inside of the virtual simulator or the organic simulation. (laughs) I hate when that happens. (sighs) Wouldn't that be some shit, though? We get down to it one day and we figure out that everything paranormal, extraterrestrial, cryptid related, it's all based as one thing. And it's like a mimic. That's just this thing that looks just (laughs) like people, but it's able to take the shape of whatever the hell it wants to be. And then at that point, you'd also solve the mystery of Uncanny Valley. So, (laughs) yeah, that's true. That is true. That gets that gets into some more of Kiel's work, like with the Eighth Tower and and one entity. You know, that you're thinking of it uh, as like this giant uh, Lovecraftian Cthulhu type entity with this this cosmic power and all these tentacles and that everywhere he pops a tentacle through the veil, a UFO shows up, a cryptid shows up, uh, a haunting shows up. So it's kind of little hand puppets. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just like different tentacles just popping in each and every place, just getting a feel of this reality. But every time it does. It's creating something new and weird. and I mean, I always oh, like man. to throw in, again, with weird theories that, you know, we think of consciousness as being something that's like linked to like a physical body or it's something physical. And at least when it comes to like hauntings, things like that, I often wonder if it's not so much that it's related to like a physical person or like a consciousness, but rather that certain areas or locations have their own consciousness to them. And rather than like the ghost physically being the spirit of the person that it is, it's whatever the consciousness of that 
location is just like replaying a video of something that's happened there before because if it's conscious and it's in control of its own specific location i mean it could even be potentially in control of like the time in that location and it could completely warp and do whatever the hell it wants to do and it's like a hard concept to fully grasp just because of the whole aspect of something being like conscious without having any sort of like physical form Hmm. Yeah, I don't even know what to say to that. That just blew my mind. That's awesome. That could even go into like the sacred land concept with all the Native American stuff too. That rather than it being that they cho- they that the land itself became spiritual because of the Native Americans, it was a place that was already spiritual because maybe there was this this consciousness that exists in that place, and they know that because of that reality could be tangible and able to be misconstrued and changed in that location. So they pick these locations because they have an understanding with like this conscious thing that exists there. (laughs) I'm not really sure what you just said, but it was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I always got to get deep at the end of the show when everybody's starting to get tired and everybody's just like, what? (laughs) Yeah. So you guys think, you guys think that I go way off in the deep end diving into the deep end of the weird pool. You do. We're going to, y'all going to have to spend some more time with Shane. He's blowing my mind right now. <laughs> I've never, th- I've never thought of a, a location consciousness. That is. Hmm. Cause even like extraterrestrials, man, I like to get into the whole idea of kind of the same thing along with that, that, you know, we're looking at something like it's carbon based because that's how we understand life. But there could be, things all around us that are aliens that are other consciousness that don't exist in a carbon-based form. So we don't register them as life, but they could potentially be life. And I mean, even with that, something could be conscious, but be in a gas form and be all around us all the time, fully conscious. And we just don't have an understanding of how that consciousness would physically work because again, we're carbon-based and that's our only method of understanding. (laughs) Holy crap. Well, basically, wouldn't the jellyfish and the manta rays in space be aliens? Shit. Well, they're just in the atmosphere. No, yeah, the they'd atmosphere, be aliens. That's right. They'd be aliens. That, uh, Shane, I think you need to write a book just based on that premise. Just write, you're going to have to write a book just based on different forms of... What's that, what's that called? Consciousness? Hey, 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 chemistry teacher. What's that called? Uh, liquid, solids. States of matter. States, states matter. of matter. I, I got it. As soon as I asked, I got it. States of matter. Write a book about different consciousness of different states of matter and how all these entities could operate or maybe even fluctuate back and forth between states Because water, right? Hey, hey, let's look at water for a second, boys. It can be liquid. It can be gas. It can be solid. What if a a conscious living creature could be liquid or gas or solid? What if water (sighs) itself is? Because they say that water is able to hold memories. What if it's able to hold memories because it is conscious itself? (sighs) Holy crap. (laughs) My brain's hurting. (laughs) That would mean every drowning was murder. <laughs> Full well murder, because they knew what they were doing. They went right into their lungs. <laughs> yeah. 
You could have just means, made the guy float. That means all the water I've drank is murder. It's oh, yeah. so the only good like, water is the Red Sea because it pushes you up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, this is holy crap. Whew. Shit, man, we're running about two hours. So, I mean, that's probably a good spot was, to end it for now. And then we I could definitely come back say, with the theories. <laughs> I was getting ready to say, I, I don't know how close you are to closing this thing out, but uh, I think after you broke my brain, that's probably the point. <laughs> so hopefully I didn't break your brain too much for uh, <laughs> if anybody wants to come and find you guys, let them know where they can come find you guys at. Uh, you can check us out on any podcaster, uh, whatever your preference is, whatever you listen to, anywhere you listen to Shane on inquiries of our reality and all of his awesome guests. Uh, you can check us out there at AI Appalachian Intelligence Podcast. You can subscribe to our YouTube and check us out in video form over there. See these ugly mugs talking to you instead of just hearing these sweet, sweet, sultry voices. Um, you can check us out over we're on Alt Media United. Uh, we got a little page and, and stuff going on over there. You can, if you feel led to, uh, uh, come check out some of our bonus stuff and some of the the perks that we have over on Patreon. You can check us out at patreon.com slash Appalachian underscore intelligence. Uh, you can come join our Discord and be part of the, the Hill Folk community over there. Come hang out with us and get weird in Discord. Um, and... One thing we always like to, to say before we jump off, if you do check us out, be sure to to leave us those five-star ratings and reviews. It helps us out a ton. And more than anything, if you like what you're hearing from us, if you check out our show and, and enjoy it, and even if you don't, even if you hate it, share it. Even if you're talking bad about us, like listen to these idiots in Appalachia trying to act like they're <laughs> smart. I mean, the name of their show is Appalachian Intelligence, and we know that, that don't exist. Even if that's the message that you send, Send it to everybody on your contact list and share the show because love us or hate us. Just talk about us. All publicity is good publicity. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But no, I think that's, I didn't, I don't think I missed anything there. Did I boys get it all? I zoned out. Professional. You are professional. <laughs> I uh, really appreciate you guys making the time to come on the show today, and uh, I'm really looking forward to getting to do some more stuff in the future, and hopefully get to dive into some more theories if you guys are down for that, because obviously, as you guys can tell, it's kind of my wheelhouse and what I enjoy the most, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely, man. We appreciate you a ton for having us on the show. Uh, you've been an excellent host. We hope that your audience enjoys this, and uh, again, we just thank you, man. We appreciate it. Big time. Thank you, guys. If anyone would like to get a hold of me for any reason, uh, you can do so through email at inquiriesofourrealitypodcast.outlook.com. Uh, you can also shoot me a message on Instagram. That's the one that I'm the most active on. Uh, you can go to any of the profiles, be it Inquiries of Our Reality, Bizarre Encounters, Open Minds Media. I regularly keep an eye on those, and that's a good way to get a hold of me. Uh, you can also go to the link tree, and there's a submission form up at the top. Uh, fill out all the information that'll go directly to my email. And I do respond back to every single message that I get. So like I mentioned in the beginning of the show, keep an eye out in the junk or the spam folder because it always seems to go there and you will get a response. So it's just a matter of it not getting lost and jumbled into all your messages. So uh, everything that I've mentioned, all available under the link tree. That's L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E slash increase of our reality podcast. And with that, I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.